welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Jip. And I'm Brenna. And our show is created on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumseh-Lupste Sequetan territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequetan-Ulu. And today's text, On the Come Up, is set in Garden Heights. Now, Garden Heights is very intentionally in any city, and Joe, we might need mm. to talk about that a little bit today, but yep. a lot of critics read it as a rewriting of the areas around Jackson, Mississippi, where Angie Thomas grew up, uh, and those are the traditional territories of the Choctaw and Quapaw peoples, and the film itself was shot in Atlanta, Georgia, the traditional home of the Muscogee peoples. Right. I've been so excited to talk about Angie Thomas with you, Joe. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's always a good time. I feel like we've had so many conversations about her, but now we finally get to have another one that is fulsome. Because, of course, folks, if you have forgotten, she is the author of The Hate You Give, which we have previously discussed all the way back in the first year of the podcast. But, uh, yeah, we finally have another adaptation that we get to talk about. And, well, I admittedly think this one is a little less successful. I think there's still plenty of good things that we can chat about. Yeah, I agree completely on both scores. I think one of the things I like about Angie Thomas's Garden Heights universe is that mm -hmm. she's content to flesh out this neighborhood with different kinds of people living different kinds of lives without right. them necessarily having to interact. So something that readers should know is that this is taking place in Star's neighborhood from the Hate mm -hmm. You Give Garden Heights, but we don't ever see those characters really in any kind of detailed way here. This is very much a separate story. Yeah, I almost take it as every time there's a mention of the boy who got shot last year, I'm kind of like, oh, I feel like that's a direct kind of just a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You probably feel like that's a reference to the hate you give. And Joe, we have talked about Angie Thomas in another context on the show before when we talked about Concrete Rose when it came out because we both right. read it. Mm -hmm. Now that's the prequel to The Hate You Give and it tells the story of who Maverick was mm -hmm. before the events of The Hate You Give, right? Because in The Hate You Give, Maverick's in prison, yeah? Yes, yes. If I yeah. remember correctly. <laughs> and so we end up in that, we end up back in that world. And one of the things that we've talked about before, when we talked about that book and how I kind of liked it more than you liked it, um, mm -hmm. had to do with the way Angie Thomas writes male characters versus female characters, which is not really to say that she tells Maverick's story badly. I don't think she mm -hmm. does, but Star and now Brie are just much more kind of fleshed out, fully embodied characters, I would, I would say. Yeah, I agree with that. And well, I don't necessarily think that there's like an incredibly gendered way of reading the writing. It just really does feel like, as you said, these characters are more fulsome, more embodied, to me, almost a bit more realistic. Like Thomas seems to be more comfortable writing in these women's skin. And one thing that we can, I, I think, say fairly, I was reading the special edition of On the Come Up, which has an mm. essay from Angie Thomas, where she talks about how like Bree's story is much closer to her story than Star's. And I think you can right. really see that in yes. some of the things that frustrated us about the characterization of Star, which I sort of chalked up to being a first novel. Mm -hmm. I think Bree is a much more 
in in depth and nuanced character sometimes for better and for worse right like <laughs> but maybe yeah. we should get into what it's about and uh, and go from there absolutely okay so on the come up is the story as i say of brie she's a 16 year old rapper and she wants to make it and which i'm putting in quotation marks which for mm-hmm. her means being able to provide for her family um her dad was a famous underground hip-hop legend in their neighborhood and beyond and he was sort of just about to break into the mainstream when Mm -hmm. he was murdered and this through line that happens in the text is that you know lawless himself was not really a gangbanger so -hmm. to speak but at the behest of his manager, he performed that role and he performed that role to the point where it actually, you know, intersected with his real life and caused his death. And so yes. there's this tension constantly in Bree's creative oeuvre about like writing about what she knows versus what's going to sell to, frankly, suburban white kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's all a really, that's all a really sort of necessary uh, piece of what's happening all of which to say, this is a book about artists, which yeah. Joe and I have this love-hate relationship with books and then film adaptations about artists because oh boy, so much is sort of teetering on the success of the depiction of the art. Mm-hmm. I think the book does a much better job of telling the story of art than the film does. Um, but we'll, we'll get into that. So, Brenna... I recognize that there's a lot of things going on in this book, but one of the things that I feel like is the most obvious through line and something that is very near and dear to your and my heart is that this is also a book about class and poverty. Yes, yes. And so we've got like our, what do they call themselves? The unholy trinity of best friends, right? Mm -hmm. We've got Brianna, Sunny, and Malik. And even though they know each other, like inside out and backwards, they're moms are like practically sisters they're they're so close Bree's experience of poverty is not the same as Sunny and Malik's experience of lack and that's something that comes up over and over again in the text right because Mm -hmm. so the family context here is that Jay is a single mom she had had a bout of drug addiction after the loss of her husband right and losing Bree's dad you know, what had catastrophic impact on the family as a whole. And so Jay had turned to drugs. She's now clean and she's looking after her children again after having once left them with her in-laws. And then we also have Trey, Bree's older brother, who has dropped out of pursuing graduate education. You know, he Mm -hmm. has a degree, but he, he wanted to go on to grad school. He drops that dream and he's working at a pizza place to try to earn enough money to help keep Jay and Brie afloat. (laughs) Literally keep the lights on, which does not happen. They lose electricity. They're behind on their rent by several months. Like, honestly, economic poverty is looming over this family on every single page of this book. And one of the things I like best about the way Angie Thomas tells this story is that she's very specific, direct, and concrete about the terrible choices that are available mm-hmm. to a character like Jay, right? Oh, so boy. Jay is in school to get a degree in social work because mm-hmm. she wants to be a social worker. And she would obviously be amazing at it. She is one of my favorite moms of literature. Uh, she's great. I love how <laughs> she does not take flack from anybody. But also no. she's very like caring and nurturing and empathetic. Like just such a great mom. 
She's such a great mom now. Um, no. <laughs> backstory not In the past, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, she wants to be a social worker, but she ends up in this situation where she loses her job, which, by the way, at the church, like, I have questions for that church. But anyway. <laughs> so she loses her job and she has to go on food stamps to provide food for her family. And in order mm-hmm. to pr- go on food stamps, she has to drop out of school. What right. is the logic there, Joe? Like, there's, that's an a horrible choice to put a person in and like the book is filled with those kinds of choices that people living in poverty have to make that Mm -hmm. people even of the economic stability of kids like Sunny and Malik are not even aware of right and it's not to say that Sunny and Malik have a lot of money they don't they're definitely also in families that are struggling but Mm -hmm. but it's the ways in which the system itself makes it impossible for Jay to succeed that just I mean to me that's the true heartbreak of this book yeah, and I think that Angie Thomas is actually really good at highlighting the pride that goes into this. So mm. Jay's in-laws are rather wealthy. They're fairly upstanding members of the church, and they would happily give her money to help take care of their grandkids. But Jay... Well, granddaddy would anyway. <laughs> granddaddy would. We've got Grandma some issues with Grandma. Grandma just wants the kids to come and live with her. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, tense family relationships between Jay and her in-laws, and then also Jay and Bree. Like, Bree has never forgiven Jay for, quote-unquote, abandoning her and Trey to go and live with Grandma and Grandpa, to the point that she won't even call Jay mom for most of the book. And it's like, these are so real. Like, these relationships are so lived in. And you really understand everyone's position, even when sometimes these characters are so frustrating because you're just like, (laughs) Jay, take the handout. You have lost power. Like, this is no time to be proud, but you completely understand why she's saying no. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and and the ways in which, you know, the offers that Jay is given for help are always, they're always cloaked in. I mean, not granddaddy. Mm -hmm. I think granddaddy would give her the money and be chill. But like the way grandma (laughs) is standing in the wings being like, oh, I'll turn your lights back on, but you have to give me your babies. And it's like, Mm -hmm. "Mm, lady. (laughs) Yeah. And then Jay has a sister who is Aunt Pooh. She's a lesbian who is a drug dealer. And she will also happily help Jay out. No strings attached. But the issue is, is like the way that she is earning her money is killing the community. And has been such a violence in Jay's life, right? Like the Mm -hmm. idea of Jay accepting money that's been acquired through the selling of drugs. It's basically blood money. Yeah, she can't do it. She can't possibly do it. So again, like impossible impossible Mm -hmm. choices that that other people don't have to make and i think the book is really good at making us feel that sense of frustration that like jay and brie and trey are stuck in a situation that is it's impossible so it's so flipping unfair like Mm -hmm. trey is so so smart he would do grad school better than most people who just wander through it on a free ride but he can't get there because he needs to support his family and and then the people who mock him for working uh, at the pizza place and you're just like i i want to punch someone (laughs) (laughs) it's you know and that's the thing right like one when when i said off the top angie thomas here i think has done an even better job than in the hate you give of like creating a lot of nuance Mm -hmm. the result is that we spend a lot more time feeling very frustrated with the characters and their circumstances Mm -hmm. and and you know it's not quite so 
black and white when you get upset with the choices they're making because we have all of this layering of mm-hmm. the sort of systemic violence that's being imposed on these characters. Yeah, yeah, because I will confess, I think that Star is a much easier character to empathize, 100%. No, sympathize with. 100%. Brie, honestly, is making she's hard some to really, like. she's really hard to like at times. Like she's mm-hmm. making some really bad decisions. And it's really important for readers to remember that she is a 16-year-old girl who truly is talented. Like, she is an amazing rapper. Everybody knows it. And it's one of those things where this is her dream. She wants to go for it. And also, she can see the dollar signs because that is how someone has very prominently gotten out of Garden Heights is mm-hmm. they went to these rap battles, they got famous, they signed a million-dollar record deal, and they have gotten out. And Bree is, like, looking at her mom and her brother struggling and just thinking, if I can make money... I can change our entire situation. And that is that is super relatable. It's just that Brie doesn't understand the world and the context that she is trying to break into. So she keeps making bad decisions. And oh my gosh, when like Supreme gives her like the sort of way it's got to be and like the version of her mm-hmm. he wants to perform, you're like, you know that's wrong. Like you know what happened to your dad. You know uh-huh. you can't do that. And also... Yep. What must it feel like to look at her mom and brother who are doing everything right and Mm -hmm. getting nothing but punished for their troubles? Yeah. One of the most interesting things that I find about the book, so basically what happens is Brie ends up recording this single. So Ampu gets her into a recording studio, Brie freestyles, and it's really great, but she's she's really angry. Mm Mm-hmm. Because this is coming right on the heels of an incident that is like extremely racist in which mm-hmm. basically two security officers at her mostly white school threw her on the ground, handcuffed her, nearly choked her out because she was selling candy and they assumed it was drugs. So like... <laughs> it's so frustrating. That scene is so frustrating and it's so... I mean, Angie Thomas knows exactly what she's doing, right? But it's oh, so gosh, evocative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a knee on her neck. Like, so evocative. Yeah. <laughs> like, this this book isn't new. She wrote that. Well, I mean, it's not like she wrote this and it wasn't happening. It's just like we've had a bit of a reckoning in the wake of, like, real-life events have made it very clear that these situations happen all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to read. And Brie is honestly experiencing trauma that she doesn't process so she channels it into her music and what comes out unfortunately is a song that allows a lot of people to misread her intentions like she's developed this like nuanced song about how like the police misjudge her and like how she refuses to be pigeonholed or put into a certain bracket and everybody just reads it as oh she's a thug she's a gangbanger she's a street thug or a street rat And it's one of those things, right? Like, it's such sophisticated use of metaphor. This Mm -hmm. would be a really fun book to teach, by the way, to our high school teacher listeners. Like, this would be really fun to teach. Um, Because Bree's writing is really good on that sort Mm -hmm. of metaphoric, symbolic, like, teasing apart the layers levels. But, of course, listeners don't hear Mm -hmm. that. And particularly white listeners don't hear that. You know, that white mom who wants to get the song banned. (laughs) The Karen? The literal Karen? She's a literal Karen. (laughs) <laughs> and I love that Malik is like, I can't believe her name is literally Karen. 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's that great moment when she's on the radio show and the guy is like really pushing her about the violence in her songs. And she's like, mm-hmm. it's a metaphor. And I just want to hug her because right. it is a metaphor, but no one is going to hear it that way because of, well, because of racism, right? Mm-hmm. Like ultimately she is, again, it's another layer where Thomas is demonstrating to us just how trapped and circumscribed our characters are and how hard it is to do the right thing when the world expects you to do the wrong thing. Right. Yeah, because, you know, the song becomes this huge hit and it should be launching her career. It gets her onto Supreme, who is her dad's uh, former manager and the guy who got Lawless to play that part, right? Yeah. And it, it's really starting to propel her in the direction that she wants to go. And Supreme seems interested in this. But he's looking at it on that surface level. Like, how can I use this young woman to make a lot of money? Like, I think one of the things I really enjoy about the book is that Supreme isn't a villain in a traditional mm. sense. He knows what he's doing And he knows that it's not exactly what she wants, but he's like, if you want to play the game, here is the game. This is how we do it. So he's actually very upfront with her most of the time. Mm -hmm. It's just that it's coming at odds with her actual values and goals. I actually, I feel like this is one of the ways in which nuance gets kind of sanded off in the film. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about when we get to the film, but like Supreme is a much more straightforward, like, kind of snake type Mm -hmm. character in the film right he tells her one thing but he does something else whereas in the book it's more like this is what the world can offer you sweetheart like that's basically Mm -hmm. his his premise and it's like a take it or leave it kind of thing and at the end of the book what she chooses instead is to pursue the version of her performance that means something to her Mm -hmm. i mean that's so much more difficult and radical in the context of what supreme has told her which is basically like there's no market for you to you know be like quote unquote real right yeah yeah because he basically says you you have to continue to perform this role which is everything that white society expects of you yeah exactly and i i really appreciated the book's unflinching willingness to talk about the way in which hip-hop is packaged primarily for angry white teenagers Mm. Oh, I love that moment. Yeah. Basically, like, we make music to scare white suburbanites. Love it. Yes. And to give them a (laughs) thrill. Like, and meanwhile, you know, Lawless is literally killed because of that. And you just Mm kind of like, it's just, oh, man. I I just really like the book, Joe. I think that it's complicated and interesting. And I, I think it is a harder book to like. And it's, it doesn't sort of pull you in. The, the way in which Star is sort of motivated by a righteousness to be sort of ever good mm-hmm. is, you know, that was exactly the book I think that a lot of folks who are interested in social justice needed in the moment yeah. when it came out. Yeah. But I think that Brie is so real, for better or for worse. And mm-hmm. I just, there's there's so much more happening, I think, in this book that's sort of conscious and critical and challenging. Yeah, um, maybe it sounds a little dismissive, and it's probably not entirely fair to Angie Thomas. You know, you mentioned earlier how at some points The Hate You Give feels like it's a a great first book. Yeah, a fantastic debut. And this is like a much more solid, more polished, but also like riskier second book, Mm -hmm. right? Like 
it's not just that Brie isn't always likable or that she's sometimes frustrating. It's like this book is unafraid of being messy and complicated and yeah, like I don't want to make it sound like the hate you give doesn't have that element, but this definitely is pushing it further, even to the point that Brie isn't like she's a fine student but she also kind of doesn't care like Sunny is the one who wants to do really really good on the SATs and Malik we don't really know much about but you know he has that activism bent with Mm -hmm. his new girlfriend Shauna but like Bree's goal is to fully be a rapper she slacks off she is desperate to like be in the scene and know all of the things and that's a really interesting perspective in a way that feels more realistic to who Angie Thomas wants to write for. Like mm-hmm. this book almost feels more for young black girls as opposed to The Hate You Give, which maybe feels like, well, let's try to appeal to some white kids too. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think that's a really fair comment to make because I think that's part of what gives this book so much richness without taking anything away from who Star is and what a, what a fantastic character that is as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but while you're talking about this this piece about, you know, who the audience is of this book, I think it's important that we touch on the way the love triangle is handled because I think right. that's also quite deft in that, mm-hmm. as is often the case in a friend group, <laughs> Brie has had a crush on Malik for like a really long time. And if you've only right. seen the film version of On the Come Up, you'll have a different version of this which we'll get to oh yeah yeah so when malik shows up with this girlfriend shauna you know brie is really thrown off but at the same time she's in this flirty stage with curtis who is not somebody she would have thought of twice previously mm-hmm. but who has been you know he's he's, he's actually really sweet her. well and importantly he has a deeper understanding of the situation that she's coming from because his yes. life is much more aligned with the kind of poverty and mm-hmm. um loss that Bree has experienced with because his mom is in prison he lives with his grandmother he lives in the neighborhood where aunt Pooh sells drugs so like right. he he gets it he gets on a it. level that Malik can't yeah And so I think, you know, traditionally in these stories, and I'll particularly say in the kind of white packaging of these stories, we have a tendency to root for the friend, right? We have a tendency to root for the Malik Bree story because Mm -hmm. we've been trained to want that, I think. Um, But Curtis is the better match for her here. Oh, 100%. Yeah. There's this great scene where Malik finally gets up the nerve to kiss her because he's, I think he's really just curious. Like he's Mm -hmm. with Shauna by this point. Yep. And the kiss sucks. It's bad. It's a bad it's kiss. It's such a good scene. It's <laughs> such a good scene. Because I it's, love that again, they both realize it too. Yes. <laughs> it's a riskier choice, right? It's a mm-hmm. it's a harder choice. Um, I think, you know, there's a there's an element of the audience that would have been rooting for Malik, so to have that mm-hmm. be the be undercut in that way. But it's also I think a really interesting approach to telling the story that the person who you wanted when you were 13 maybe Mm -hmm. isn't the person who is right for you. And what does that story look like? I just, I had to throw that in because we can't talk about it in the movie because we lose the love triangle for obvious Mm -hmm. reasons of simplifying the narrative. But I just love, love, love the way Thomas handles that. 
Yeah. Honestly, like there, there's just so much. I feel like there's at least five or six other characters we haven't even touched mm-hmm. on. Like there's the moment that Jay finally works up the courage to stand up to the white principal of Bree's school when they try to have a public debate and this Karen gets up and says like, oh, well, my kids just don't feel safe because there's like things have changed since certain students have started to attend this school. And you're just like, oh, my God, the racism. Which, by the way. The reason that this school has started bussing in students from other parts of town and diversifying the student population is because they won't get any block funding grants if they don't. Mm-hmm. So, like, this recurring theme that Malik picks up on in his activism is they need us more than we need them, so they have to make space for us. Yeah. Not this BS where we're supposed to feel grateful that they're letting us be here. No, 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 mm-hmm. no, we have the power. Oh, I, I do like Malik's character, even if that kiss was bad. <laughs> Oh, sure. Yeah. No, I mean, Malik is interesting because he gets so much of it, but then he also misses so much Mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. Almost like a real human being, Rena. Like (laughs) a complicated real human being. Not always perfect. Not always terrible. All of these characters, like, I think the character of Aunt Pooh is one of the most fascinating YA characters I have read in quite some time. She's not even that well developed in the book and yet we have such an innate understanding of who she is she's a queer woman of color who sells drugs is kind of unapologetic about the fact that she is a member of a gang Mm -hmm. in part because the person who put her on this path was lawless and when he died she took it so personally that she basically dedicated herself to getting revenge that is fascinating it's so good but yeah i just i love i love how all of these characters interact intersect i i'm sorry to anybody who hasn't read the book we're probably not doing a great job of telling you what happens it's like there's (laughs) a couple of different battles there's uh a couple of moments where brie just says the wrong thing and she gets either jay really upset or Mm -hmm. aunt Pooh really upset or she and Malik fight a bunch of times because he just doesn't listen to her and she she's impestuous, right? She is mm-hmm. quick to react and very quick to anger, which is something else that I find refreshing because I feel yeah. like we don't always see young women expressing anger in YA either. No, you know what? We really don't. And it's very useful as a way of seeing through to what's happening. Like, I can often be put off by angry narrators. Mm -hmm. Listeners to the show are probably very aware. But one of the things that's so important in the way that Brie is perceived by the world is like she's constantly getting sent to the principal's office because her white teachers think she's being aggressive when she's just trying to state her opinions, right? And so... Or sarcastic, yeah. Yes. And so there's this sense that like, what... Why should she try when Mm -hmm. everyone is always going to perceive? And I think that that really fuels a lot of her impulsiveness. Um, Mm -hmm. Because like, even when she does try, she's she's misunderstood, she's misperceived. So yeah, I think that, I think that asking us to stick with this character who we might perceive as being angry is really kind of important to the project of what's happening with the book. Mm hmm. So let's talk about the ending because that is a little different in the book and the film. So in the book, Aunt Pooh gets sent off to jail because supposedly the rival gang has more or less called in a call to the cops. So she gets busted along with a bunch of other folks. 
And it's really frustrating, but it kind of breaks the ice with Jay and Brie. Like they realize we can't keep losing people who are important to us. And also we need to mend fences between the two of us. We also have Jay, Trey, and Brie moving in with the grandparents because Jay has gotten so far into debt that she will basically never be able to dig herself out, even though Mm -hmm. she does get a new job. And then finally, Bree decides to take Supreme up on his offer to do like a very public battle, not between the two of them, but rather she will go and do like this new song that she recorded, but none of the lyrics were hers. So Mm -hmm. Bree only raps her own lyrics, and then she basically gets told, if you want to be successful, this is what you're going to do. So she records the track, but then when she has to publicly perform it, She does her own freestyle where she basically tells him to get lost. And Mm -hmm. then the book more or less ends on this very vague, like, hey, famous rapper unnamed (laughs) wants to do a collaboration with you. And the suggestion is, is that she has found a way to move her own career forward on her own terms. But we don't really know what happens beyond that. Yeah, it's very, it's very open ended. And I think... We have a lot of confidence in Brie. We have a lot Mm -hmm. of faith in her. I think we very much want for things to work out. um, And we hope that they will. But it's absolutely true that we we don't know. We don't really know. No. Things are good when the book ends, but it's not, there's no guarantees. No, no guarantees. Okay, so why don't we transition over to the film and we can talk about how the film is maybe a little less trusting. (sighs) No. Once upon a time, there was a girl named Bree. That's me. In this fairy tale, my father was once a king. Now I'm chasing his dream. The greatest rapper Garden Heights had ever seen. Hey, yo, I'll battle anybody right now. Who won it? I take it. Morning, baby. Mom got clean three years ago, doing her best not to let it show. Ring legend in the making. You know people would kill for a spot like this? I'm Pooh's my manager. You heard about infamous Mills? Seven figures straight up front. You win this battle? Sky's the limit, baby girl. Y'all know what time it is. Let's get this started. Can't believe I froze. Maybe if I lay here long enough, I'll decompose. And then I could come back different like a concrete rose. I lost my job. What are we going to do about rent? I'm looking for work. Bree, listen. If you want to make it, it's going to take more than the rent. See, making hits, that's what I do. You got it, ain't you? The right song at the right time. And boom. You're going to be on the come up. You can't stop. You can't stop. You can't stop. You can't stop my come up. Yeah! We about to be homeless. I got a lot on the line right now. And that's exactly what you need. Use that as fuel. Come on. Is this hip-hop or kids' box? Feel like I'm watching Disney. Meanwhile, my bars hit like when Boys in the Hood pulled up on Ricky. It's just a song. It's not just a song. It is a statement. If you're going to come at people, then you better be ready. So On the Come Up is a film that was released earlier this year in September. It apparently got a very limited theatrical release, but basically it debuted on Paramount Plus in North America slash the US. So it was written by Kay Oyogun, and it's directed by Sanan Lathan, who is also the actress who plays Jay. This is her directorial debut. 
should be noted that it's had actually its share of kind of false starts. So mm-hmm. I think they've been wanting to make this book into a film for quite some time. It had George Tillman Jr. as a director at one point, and then it went to Winery uh, Caillou, and then eventually uh, Lathan took it over sometime during the pandemic. So we've got Jamila C. Brown as Brie. We've got Devine Joy Randolph as Aunt Pooh. Method Man as Supreme, who I think is actually pretty good in this movie. I uh, love him as Supreme. I just don't love what they did with Supreme. <laughs> yeah, as you said, he's much more of a kind of like snake oil salesman. Like he's definitely trying to lure Bree in mm-hmm. with, you know, the high life of this could all be yours. You could live in this mansion. He takes her on a trip to Atlanta. That's all expenses paid at one point. Well, and there's a literally a scene where he and Infamous Mills like kind of do this like okay now you talk her into it like it's gross mm-hmm. it's just gross <laughs> yeah so infamous mills is uh the guy who kind of broke out and got super famous he is played by a little yachty and he's even he is just kind of like he's a ew kind of character yeah. when you see him you know he's not great so there's there's just not a lot of depth to some of these characters mm-hmm. um basically if it's not brie her mom and to a lesser extent, Pooh, like, I actually think that Devine Joy Randolph gives the best performance in Oof, this film. Yes. And Pooh just leaps off the screen in every single scene that she's in. Yes, she absolutely does. And she's, okay, so her arc in the film is a little bit different because she actually gets yes. shot first yeah. before getting carted off to prison. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think is another one of these risky, brave choices that Thomas makes in the book is that Pooh is unrepentant. Like, when they go to visit her in prison, she's like, I did what I did. I didn't have any other choices. And F you if you're not going to bail me out. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and and the idea is that, you know, they're leaving Pooh to come to terms with the choices she's made on her own. And they're not, they they can't, right? Like, she, Mm -hmm. she's like, can you bail me out by getting a loan? And, and Jay's like, who is going to give me a loan? Like, right. just more horrible, sketchy people who are going to make it even more impossible for me to, you know, raise my kids. And mm-hmm. in the film, she gets shot and she has this, like, sort of, I don't know, this epiphany type moment. And she and Brie have this conversation about why it's important that Brie not own the, the film makes it a lot more like it's Brie's fault that Pooh gets shot. And also... <laughs> it's very weird. And also the film sort of like doesn't let her blame herself for it. So it's a, the arc is very strange in general, but we end up having like the great inspirational speech from the film, which you knew there was going to be one. It ends up coming from Pooh. Yeah, yeah. And that's sort of the other area that for me, the film really falls down on is that like there's a lot of similar things, like things kind of happen in a bit of a different order in the film. But more or less what ends up happening is Brie ends up going into the ring for this final fight where she you know tells supreme i'm not going to be the person you want me to be and that's fine but it's so underdog sports movie kind of moment where she has this epic thing and everybody cheers for her the movie ends in this egregious like freeze frame moment where they're hoisting her up kind of deal and it's You know, in a way, it does embody the same kind of uncertainty. Like, there's no guarantee that Bree is going to do well. It's not like we have that kind of confirmation. And 
even in the film, because the grandparents have been cut out completely, we basically don't have that certainty <laughs> about Jay's yeah. financial future. And yet there's something so falsely happy about the yes. ending of the film that feels like it almost doesn't understand what the book is doing. No. And I think, okay, so I said this to you in a text that in general, I think that a lot of YA texts, when they get adapted to film, Mm-hmm. The thing that I don't even want to say filmmakers because it's probably not the filmmakers. I think the thing that studios are afraid of more mm-hmm. than anything else is actually addressing the trauma that is at the root of a lot of these books. Right. And like, I don't, I want to make, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going <laughs> to turn Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star into the like, my dad died podcast, but Joe, my dad died recently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, one of the things, so I was halfway through on the come up and then my dad died. And I put the book Mm -hmm. away for about three weeks and then I finished it. Okay. And one of the things that was really salient to me as I finished the book on the plane the other day (laughs) was that this book is so much about trauma. It's not about the trauma of Lawless's death, though, although I think that is critical, right? Mm Bree's desire to be seen as someone other than Lil Law is profound. Yes. And very complicated. (laughs) But very complicated. But it's about how Lawless's death trickles out, right? Everybody is living in the consequence mm-hmm. of that. And that has then begot more trauma. So, you know, the reason why Grandma is so over the top about trying to take control of Jay's life is because she, she lost her son and these children yes. are her connection, right? And the yes. reason why Jay and Bree's relationship is fractured is because... Jay sought solace in drugs and like that's not something that is easy to come back from and mm-hmm. and Jay is deeply traumatized by that experience but so too obviously are you know Bree and Trey and Trey mm-hmm. all of Trey's choices around his education are framed by the death of his father and his the role he has had to step into as the man of the house right so like yep you take all of these pieces and so much of the book is about trauma and that moment when Jay and Bree finally talk about it mm-hmm. is so cathartic, right? Because yeah. Jay's like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry that I left you. I didn't know what else to do and I don't think I could have made a different decision, but I've regretted it every day since, right? And then mm-hmm. they can finally start to heal and Bree in response starts to actually call Jay mom and it's like oh, it's so good. It's so good. And like... <laughs> You get none of that in the movie. Mm. The The reality of, you know, Lawless's absence is really sort of the central trauma. We get a little bit of what's happened between Jay and Brie, but I was sort of fascinated when the director is literally playing who I think happens to be the most interesting character in the book in Jay. Mm. Okay. And yet we get so little, I think, comparatively yeah. of Jay's backstory there. Mm-hmm. As a result, all of this to say, I think that, the desire to sort of shy away from the trauma and instead to make it really sort of a story about a young woman finding herself as an artist, which I think mm-hmm. is ultimately what the film is Oh, instead, 100%. Yes. It's going to be less nuanced and less complex sort of by mm-hmm. definition when you omit that part. And then, Joe, <laughs> we tangle up to the larger issue that films about art are really hard. They're really yeah. hard to make. They just are obviously because people keep doing it badly (laughs) this is a this is a tough bad but it's a lot 
Okay, so I have I have multiple points okay, that go. I would like to make now. Um, no, you can't talk. I was talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with everything that you're saying. I think one of the things that ended up happening is that folks were were obviously gushing because we really like Angie Thomas's writing. Yeah. I think for a lot of folks, when you're looking at adapting this book in particular, you're not even noticing the fact that the whole book is about trauma because you're focusing on, oh, it's about a girl who's a talented artist and this is her journey towards stardom. Because that's also a much easier property to sell. So you get rid of the complicated stuff. Oh, okay. Do we need to have the love interest when we could just make her fall in love with her best friend? Cool. Curtis is gone. Do Mm -hmm. we need all the family stuff? Cool. Grandparents are gone. You know, like, it's not just the traditional kind of watering down. I don't want to throw Kay Oyegan under the bus, but it really does feel like, okay, we had to choose, are we going to make this complicated and messy and difficult and therefore harder to sell? Mm -hmm. Or shall we just make it about a street smart girl who is going to use her natural born talent to try to make it any which way she can? Because that is a story that we have seen a million times because it works, because it's easier to do. And all the references in the rap battles in the film version to 8 mm-hmm. Mile are deeply oh, ironic because they're very dismissive about 8 Mile as a story. But this is mm-hmm. 8 Mile in well, so many ways. Eight mile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we've got the, the troubled mother yep. and we're just swapping different actors in and that kind of stuff. I think the hard thing for me is that it's not a bad movie no this is definitely one of those ones where if you hadn't read the book and you didn't see the nuance and the depth and how complicated it is you would probably watch this movie and say this is pretty good because i i think all of the actors especially are really good at embodying these characters i love all of them i love this version of malik he's adorable oh yes like super marketable i love this version of sunny (laughs) super marketable you just described a human being as super marketable (laughs) well he is in this role you know what i mean like very lovable yes uh shout out to michael cooper jr as malik and it's very clear that that's what they're creating right like that you want a love story that the audience is going to root for instead mm-hmm. of you know what i talked about before of this kind of like the maturity of realizing a love triangle that you're in is kind of dumb and you gotta let it go you know what i mean like right. there's so much here that is you're totally right joe easier to sell and perfectly enjoyable to watch like highly mm-hmm. recommend this you can watch this by the way if the paramount you get seven day trial on paramount plus like if you haven't mm-hmm. done it yet go get it get this i'm gonna watch a blues clues movie this weekend you know there's lots of things there for you sure. um, i'm just saying i think that in comparison with the book this is one of the more disappointing experiences i've had yeah. recently yeah, it, it's very bizarre because in so many ways, like I, I ended up rewatching the movie before I could do my reread of the book. And I had watched the movie at TIFF. So I saw this back around the time that it came out. So it's been a couple months. And I remember not feeling great about the movie when I first saw it. Like I thought a couple of the performances were okay. I thought it was too long. Mm, I don't it is long. love Lathan's direction. I think it's fine, but it feels very... I'm learning the ropes and give me a second chance and I'm going to like really hit it out of the park in the future. But this feels a little workmanlike to me. Mm-hmm. And watching it again, knowing what it actually was, I felt much more generous to it. I actually really enjoyed this a lot more. But you're completely right that in terms of 
adapting the book like we're getting a lot of the same kinds of scenes in slightly different orders a lot of the same characters mostly hitting the same character beats and arcs it's just i don't know that a movie could have done this book justice in the way that Mm -hmm. they clearly wanted to make it and i don't know that i would have advocated for a four hour version or a mini series or something like that but this very much feels like how do we sell this to people? Like, Mm -hmm. how can we sell this to a mass audience, which we've talked about so many times is what you have to do when you're making a movie because it's way more expensive. But it's kind of ironic It's ironic because it's like, it was always just going to Paramount Plus. So it's like, okay. But it's also ironic because that's the lesson that Brie learns in the book is Mm -hmm. to not market herself to a mass audience, but instead to tell the story she's destined to tell. And then- And then the Irony movie is ends. dead, Brenna. Irony <laughs> is dead. <laughs> the movie ends with literally people jumping in the air in a freeze frame. I was, mm-hmm. like, I was texting Joe. I was like, you know, I'm enjoying these performances. And then I got to the end and I'm like, oh, I'm a bit frustrated with how this is ending. And then I think my last mm. text to Joe was, oh, my God, a freeze frame. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It feels like a weird throwback. Like, I think I texted you back and said, you know what? This kind of feels like the Karate Kid version of like a rap story. Which here's an interesting thing, right? What if they had really leaned into that? Because... Brie in the book, much less in the film, she's very into nerd culture in general, right? She wears mm-hmm. her Star Wars t-shirt. She makes some karate kid jokes in the book. She does. Yep. So, you know, and if they had leaned into that part of her character and allowed that, then I would have had a, a little bit of energy for that ending. But I don't. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. This is this is perfectly fine. Like it's making you feel things like there's a couple of really strong emotional beats it's really hard to watch the moment of racial violence uh when she gets like basically attacked by these guards at the school oh and literally thrown in the air right like Mm -hmm. they shot that beautifully and also very upsettingly Mm -hmm. and it could have been a lot more exploitative so Mm -hmm. i think it's like just the right amount to help you understand how bad this is Mm -hmm. but it's not trauma porn exactly yeah. And and even just, I think my favorite scene, it's a quieter moment because it feels like it's actually allowing these characters to have a bit of a breath in between all of the arguments that they have. The fights felt more repetitive to me in the, mm. in the film than they did in the book. But um, the moment where Aunt Pooh comes over and demands that Jay make their famous uh mac and cheese yeah and then they talk about how jay and lawless first got together and i think the camaraderie because brie is listening in and she's kind of like wait you've never told me this story like i'm you know i want to know more this isn't a scene that happens in the book this is for the film and Mm -hmm. it feels more natural somehow like i think they needed to understand that you can step away from the book and have these kinds of organic scenes that are going to make sense for the characters as opposed to, okay, we just need to get rid of a bunch of stuff in the book and then like slap it onto the screen. I love that. And also I watched that scene when I was jet lagged and like super hungry, but too lazy to go down to the kitchen to make something. Mm -hmm. And oh my God, it made me so hungry just while she was making that mac and cheese. It looked delicious. It looks so good. Oh my God. Mac and cheese isn't a thing that I frequently want, but when I see other people having it, it's like, it's almost like the way that people respond to Caesars. It's like, oh, yeah, that wasn't even on my radar, and now I want it. That is how people respond to Caesars, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It yeah. really is. It's because yeah. they're very Instagrammable. 
maybe that's it too. Yeah. You know, photo worthy. <laughs> don't sell out, Brenna. Don't just buy what they're marketing to you, whether it's Caesars or rap battles. <laughs> Well, Brenna, <sighs> shall we do a little bit of YA bingo with this? Yes, please. Bingo! Not a good bingo. All right. So what do you have? All right. Obviously, I have musicality. Naturally. And I really enjoy the way the soundtrack is constructed for the film version in particular. I think it's really good. Mm-hmm. I will say, however, that Wikipedia has this flagged as a musical drama. And I find oh. that to be an incorrect characterization. I actually wish there had been more of Bree's creative process and music in the film. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, we're going to, there's a lot of montaging, particularly yes. a trip to Atlanta, almost mm-hmm. honestly in the film, almost an egregious amount of montaging. Yeah. Yep. yep, yep, yep. That to me is one of those things where you're like, oh, this is a first time filmmaker. Like we're, yeah. we're leaning on this as a storytelling device. Yeah, totally. I definitely want to give credit to good friendships, particularly in the book. I love Sunny mm-hmm. and Malik and Brie together and I also love that they go through trials and tribulations of their Mm -hmm. friendship like it's not it's not an easy best friendship and I appreciated that right makes it all the more real yes we've got a female director Mm -hmm. I think you can make an argument for a road trip oh yeah yeah that trip to Atlanta for me yeah and I think in the book they do drive right like we're really cagey about the setting but anyway Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) mm-hmm We talk about that another time. Uh, we've obviously got dead body, dead family. Yep. And I think we have to give a stunt casting to Method Man, who I need to say again, I really loved him as Supreme. I just didn't mm-hmm. love Supreme. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's perfectly fair. He's doing what he needs to do. And he's really selling that kind of rich, extravagant lifestyle. Um, you know, we've not talked about the queer secondary character mm. that isn't Aunt Pooh. So Aunt Pooh in the book has um, a girlfriend named Lena and there's a couple of beats, but like Lena's not really in the book all that much. No. There is a more substantial piece, which is that Sonny has a crush on like a mysterious person who he's been texting. And it turns out to be Supreme's son, Miles, who is an aspiring rapper. So there's, there's some interestingness there. I do find that every, I don't love the romances in the book, if we're being honest. Like, Shauna's mm-hmm. not really a real person. Kayla, who is Trey's girlfriend, is kind of like a manic pixie dream girl where she's just like perfect with the grandparents. And yeah. I don't know. Like, I I almost wish that we hadn't had those. And then when you see it in the film where we've gotten rid of Curtis and the, the only real romance of note is Brianna and Malik. And it's cute, but it feels very, I don't want to say studio mandated, but it's like, it's not as complicated. And yeah. it feels easy. Yeah, I mean, I meant it when I said it feels marketable, right? Mm-hmm. It feels marketable in the same way like Augustus and Hazel. Like it feels like right. we're looking at a goals situation. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say though, I did give this movie a perfect date for their moment oh, in the pool because obviously. I think that it's it's everything you want in YA if you're looking for romance. It's like this is the dream. Like these kids are so cute together. They're so cute, and of course, right? She's been in love with him since grade eight, and what do we find out? He's been in love with her since grade five. Jokes, so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's not what I wanted out of the film, but you, no. you got to give it to it. It's very delicious to watch. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. But um, that's actually all I have. There's an argument to be made for the chosen one. I was mm-hmm. going to float this by you because of, you know, Brie being the 
child of a rap legend who right. dies too soon to and so she's going to like live out his legacy mm-hmm. but the book is also very interested in resisting what other people determine to be your legacy can right. she be a rapper in her own right separate from her father's legacy so i don't know you could go either way well here's the deciding factor do you want to have a bingo line or not i do want to have a bingo line okay then chosen one it is <laughs> I'm craving, Joe. I'm craving. <laughs> Look, this new board has not been stacking up. It's been very difficult to get the lines in order. So truth. <laughs> okay. Well, Brenna, before we announce where we're going next, uh, how would folks get a hold of us if they want to talk about on the come up? Which you should want to do. Um, you can find us on the Twitters. We're at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. Joe, where do they find you? I am at B stole my remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray, that's Gray with an A. And for longer form stuff, like, for example, maybe our next book club, you can mm. find us at hkhspod at gmail.com. So, Brenna, obviously, yes. we want people to write in for book club. What is the book in question? Okay, so, you know, following along, maybe a little bit closer to the vibe of A Hate You Give than uh, On the Come Up, but Mm. we're still in the kind of similar sort of themes and social justice issues. We're going to be doing All American Boys, which is a co-write between Jason Reynolds, who we have talked about on the show before, though we've never done an episode on him, Mm. and Brendan Kiley. And I'm very excited for this book. It won both the Coretta Scott King Honor Award and the Walter Dean Myers Award. And Mm. it makes white people really uncomfortable, so I'm super stoked. Oh. (laughs) Well, can't wait for that experience. So, yeah, (laughs) folks, if you want to write in about All American Boys, you should do so before the end of the year. So you've got about three and a half weeks to get that in. Yes, please do. And then uh, what about long-form stuff, Joe? What are we doing for main episodes? Okay, so uh, next week we're actually going to do another full-length episode because we have both a book, which is nonfiction, Brenna, as well as a TV show. But don't worry, folks, the episodes are short. We're going to be talking about Canadian queer icons, Tegan and Sarah. So we're going to be reading their book, High School, and then watching the Amazon Freebie adaptation. Neither one of us knows what freebie is or how to work it so it should be an interesting experience (laughs) yeah i promise it's not that difficult i think you can get to it through amazon and i've been reading some i would say mixed to positive reviews from folks who really love the memoir so i'm Mm. I'm excited to get into it i think it's going to be an interesting watch okay well i've seen half of the series and i quite liked it and i have no idea about the book All right. Well, here we go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right, folks. So you've got your assignments. You know what you're reading. You know what you're watching. Um, And uh, I guess this is time for us to say bye. So, uh, Joe, I'll Mm -hmm. see you on the page. All right, Brenna. I'll see you on the screen. Bye. Which is everything that white society expects of you. Sorry, Devin just brought me a coffee. I'm done now. No, you're fine. <laughs> like, I, I don't want to throw screenwriter. What's the name? Sorry, I had it. Joe. Uh, mm-hmm. Take that again, but call it a racist incident. Okay, what did I say? 
Oh, great recharge. recharge. Boo. Fail. <laughs> <laughs> well, Verna, shall we do a little bit of YA bingo with this? Yes, please. Give me a second. I didn't open the card. I know. I know. <laughs> you know what? You're just, you're, you're off your game. That's <laughs> That's generous of you. My game is not having the card open. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where are we? Where are we?